on the Data Nuts podcast, we talk with Vivian Zhang, a machine learning expert. Don't know what machine learning is? Been hearing about ML from marketing folks and it all sounds like nonsense to you? Well, this is your show. We're cutting through the cruft to get to what's real. Packetpushers.net, you can find this in all of our Datanaut shows about infrastructure engineering, or just search for Datanaut, spelled like astronauts, in your favorite podcatcher. You can follow us on Twitter at Datanauts underscore show. I'm Ethan Banks at EC Banks, and with me is the fabulous Chris Wall at Chris Wall, who finds Waldo every single time. And joining us, as I mentioned, is Vivian Zhang. Vivian, would you describe your place in the world as related to machine learning? Who are you and what do you do? Hi, thank you for having me. I'm CTO of a consulting firm called Substack, also a data science school called NYC Data Science Academy. So I'm both consulting service provider and educator. My background, I have a double master in computer science and statistics, and I will call myself a real hands-on practicing in the domain. And my main responsibility is to design the tech stack for our company and offer the most cutting-edge machine learning service and training to our clients. Okay, so you are a definitive authority in machine learning then. It is what you live and breathe and do. And in IT, just so you have some context from us about where we're coming from on this, in IT and for IT infrastructure people, we keep hearing about machine learning all the time, how numbers are being crunched and new insights are being found as related to IT. And so we thought a show with someone like you that really knows machine learning inside and out could help us understand what all it really is and can do for us so that when we hear ML come up, we understand what's what that really means and uh, and what it's good for. So so maybe that's a good place to start, Vivian. What is machine learning really? Or, or maybe what isn't machine learning? Because everybody that we talk to in IT these days that are making IT infrastructure products seem to be claiming to use ML to fuel their practices. There are two ways to describe it academically. The first is utilize algorithm so all the machine can learn from data automatically. That's one popular way people are interpreting machine learning. A more academic way is a computer program is said to learn from the experience with respect to some class of the tasks and the performance measure. If the performance at the tests are measured by the performance, improve with the experience, we will call it an effective machine learning program. So you will hear words about improving experience, tackle tasks, be able to measure on the tasks. So it's all about be able to learn from data and improve the performance. Okay, so to be able to learn from the data. And so then when we say machine learning, the algorithm is looking at the data and learning something from it, which is almost self-explanatory. But at the same time, machines don't think. So how is it that they're learning? Hmm, there are many ways. Give you an example of a typical machine learning algorithm. Most people use iPhone these days. So how does Siri works? Siri reads your speech, determines commands and action from your speech. Then find the result you want from both your cell phone and your internet. The last step, Siri will organize the result and answer your question. So at each step, Siri is using machine learning, like speech recognition, be able to understand what you're asking and take action, find result cleaned up, and uh, organize the result. So each step, Siri doesn't know what you want, 
but the algorithm allows Siri to learn fast and know what exactly what you mean and what you want. So that would help Siri overcome the challenge of different accents. Your accent's very different from mine, for example, but we're both speaking English. That's right. That's a good example too. You know, one of the biggest challenges in IT, just across the data center, the cloud, you know, all the people that operate all the IT entities is the people. Realistically, it's just we're all human. We're all making decisions kind of independent of one another. We have to communicate it, things like that. Could machine learning potentially move the needle in the world of, of IT infrastructure? Can we use it to design better systems for ourselves or even just offload day-to-day thinking and say, well, the computer will figure it out. I'll just sit here and eat a donut. Yeah, a lot of IT infrastructure needs and use machine learning. You probably you didn't know you were using it without even for a dozen times a day. So a quick example for IT security. How do you know your network activity is normal and your firm is not under cyber attack. Machine learning can help you to build the baseline and detect uh, any abnormality. Okay. Also, you a lot of companies such as like Foxconn, they make a lot of hardwares. They have very, very complex algorithm to detect how the temperature is impacting their hardware, what's the error rate of their equipment. So for a lot of IT company, they need machine learning to in- improve the performance, to improve the product all the time. You hear that, Ethan? You're, you're not even needed anymore. The machines are <laughs> they're already doing the network stuff. Uh, I have a feeling they haven't needed me for a while anyway. <laughs> Vivian, is it possible for machine learning to help me with um, the, the idea of I don't know what I don't know? So, so for example, finding patterns in the data that I, I never would have suspected but are actually meaningful. Of course, absolutely. Machine learning was never just about summary statistic, anything you already know or easily you can gain access to. Machine learning is about discovering unknown things, such as what movie this person might like using a similar people's preference. What kind of auto-reply can be generated using your current email body or your past reply pattern, such as what items should be lined up together so the customer will buy more. There are many ways machine learning can help business know what they don't know and find place to optimize their performance. Hmm. I want to get under the hood a little bit. I have a couple of friends of mine who went from being IT practitioners to machine learning software developers. And they, they tell me that machine learning involves a lot of math and they had their heads buried deep in some math books trying to get a handle on what it was that they needed to do as they developed their ML code. Can you expound on what sort of math is related to being able to develop in machine learning code? Absolutely. I saw a lot of people coming from like physics PhD background, math background, econ PhD background. So advanced math is super helpful. It helps you to understand the deep part of the algorithm. So we expect most people have linear algebra, basic knowledge, advanced knowledge, regression, real analysis, algebra, geometry, algebra, topology, differential topology, differential geometry. And if you people know the theory of probabilities, that would be the best. Oh, goodness. That is a lot. Because my math in college stopped at, I got, I got up to college algebra and I didn't have to go any deeper into the math for my computer science and business degrees. That's all I needed. So that goes way beyond what I ended up dealing with. You could use machine learning to like cheat for you now. You don't even have to do the math. There you go. You just feed it the problems, I think. (laughs) 
Well, Vivian, one thing that I hear a lot is the terms ML and AI, you know, artificial intelligence, just kind of thrown together as like they're the same thing. Are they? Do they relate to one another? Can you describe kind of the differences and similarities between machine learning and artificial intelligence? So machine learning and artificial intelligence both belong to CS. They also cross domain with statistics, math. I would say AI is very, very special domain in CS. Right now, it's super hot. People claim they can solve any problem with AI using like deep learning, TensorFlow, all the new fancy infrastructure. The idea of AI is to mimic how people think. So you will build a huge neural network like to pretend it's a human neural network. So everything you have seen, you'll be able to come to a conclusion based on what you have seen. And the algorithm also allowed you to build a response to, to things you've never seen before using similarity. I would say they are like two parallel domains and also they intersect each other. Like machine learning algorithm can be using AI, AI can be using machine learning. So oh, they're cool. not very clear difference because like AI, machine learning, data mining, all those concepts are largely overlap when it's used in the industry. Yeah, it feels like people are just kind of throwing the dice and saying, well, we'll use all these buzzwords. Hopefully one of them is interesting to a person. Come in to you know, hear my talk or, or buy my product. And I was just curious where the differences lay. So if machine learning is used as, a, as an artificial intelligence technique, then how quickly is all of that moving? Because as you, as you say, Vivian, folks are starting to claim we can do anything with artificial intelligence and machine learning. And the claims seem kind of ridiculous. But then you listen to other people and they're saying, before you get anything like human level intelligence, we are decades away. And then other people say it's never going to happen. Do you have a sense of how the field is developing there? First, I have a quick joke, um, if you guys allow. Um, there was a professor tried to study the pattern how people use elevator and the stairs. So he actually installed a monitor inside of the elevator. He wants to count how often, how frequent people use the elevator. And after a week, two weeks, three weeks, he started to make a claim, say, oh, I find out people use stairs more than elevator around after work time. And the doorman happened to hear this claim and tell him that's because elevator is on the maintenance after work time. So just based uh-huh. on the data, won't give you the full, full picture. You do need people have domain knowledge, have really hands-on practice in this domain to help you interpret the data. So on one hand, AI is largely used like new car. Everyone claimed they were going to get rid of drivers, get rid of uh, taxi drivers soon. But in another hand, they also want to build in the security layer, have the real person to, to watch how, how things move, how the car moves. In my opinion, it won't be that fast all the human being will be get rid of. I'm not sure if you read the journal recently. The robots was giving pennies to the homeless on the street. Huh. Or claim AI robots going to domain the world. And the, the real people will be the uh, subject for pity. But human being is much smarter. And when we mimic how people think, they're always a difference because we're more creative and innovative in the way how we do things. And robots and the AI technique is better at things repetitive and more. We can use them to save time, but they can never replace us, at least in short time. 
Mm. It's like teenagers, you know, go, go buy my groceries, go pick up, you know, pick up a package, like go do things. That's the, the, the joy of having them when they can finally drive your car. <laughs> I assume Ethan would know better than I <laughs> There's nothing joyful about having a teenager that can drive, my friend. I remember being on the other end of it. It was like, as soon as I got my driver's license, I felt like a machine learning algorithm, like go do all these menial tasks over and over again, because you can. Kind of on that vein, though, uh, Vivian, if people want to go kind of deeper, is there a book or primer or, or something that people could use to further educate themselves about machine learning that kind of stands out to you? I will recommend two books. The first is The Elements of Statistical Learning from Stanford. The PDF version is free, available online. There's also an easier version called The Intro to the Statistical Learning, also offered by Stanford. So both books are the best in this field. What if I want to go even deeper than that? I, I want more than an intro. I love this stuff so much. I want to make this a career. Is there a typical degree path I might follow to become a, a machine learning expert and uh, do it as a profession? Yes. Um, most of the people are having CS and math background, both, not just one, and also at graduate level degree. We have trained more than 300 full-time and more than 1,000 part-time people to become data scientists. So 90% of the people are CS, math, or engineering, technology, basically STEM major, S-T-E-M major. We also see about 10% people who are not coming from neither background. Like we train a PhD in English to become a data scientist. We help econ uh, PhD become data scientist. So I would say any smart people can make the transition, but it requires at least 500 hours hard work to study math coding in this domain, then they can make a transition in their career. So you mentioned uh, several things in there. Um, the math we've talked about, um, needing advanced math and having a handle on that. Other specific skills that I would need to walk out of a degree program with, like do I need developer skills um, so that I can write machine learning algorithms or could I work Absolutely. on machine learning and be more abstract? Oh, okay. So typically a job will require people to know at least R or Python. So they can do data analytics, data managing, visualization, machine learning algorithm. On the top of it, they are required to know like Hadoop, Spark. So when they work in big companies, they can fetch their own data using the big data infrastructure. And on top of that, uh, people are expected to know Linux. So they can understand basic script language. They are expected to know SQL well. Another way to fetch data, they're expected to know GitHub well so they can collaborate directly to develop the code base. So those are the core skills you need to have before you can consider a career in data science. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you don't train to be an auto mechanic and not know how to use a wrench. You got to use a have a tool set so that you can do your craft. That's right. My takeaway is that the context or or the metadata is what I'll probably call it, if you will. It, it's still important. You know, don't just let the machine loose and use the result without validation. I was reading an article on Hacker Noon where they were talking about smart contracts for blockchain and, oh, you can now invest and let the let the algorithm do all the work. And then it accidentally invested like $50 million into some stupid thing that people had put up <laughs> as kind of like a, a canary. And it was like, oh, and then people started arguing about it. Let's revert the money. 
the long story short, there's still a bunch of humans arguing about the underlying intention of this smart contract rather than letting the software itself execute. And so same vein here. There's still going to be some people somewhere in the equation to validate all these results. Also, I'm curious, are we ever going to be able to replicate ourselves into some piece of code? Because I don't know if we're that smart. That just seems like a challenge. Uh, Ethan, what about you? I I just like the simple distinction we were able to make between machine learning and artificial intelligence here. Whereas the two are, as she put it, uh, parallel and uh, closely related technologies. My takeaway was that machine learning algorithms are used to inform artificial intelligence uh, platforms. And uh, they dovetail in that way. They're not the same thing. but, But again, closely related, ML helping AI becoming Skynet eventually. Vivian, now that we have a better, I guess, mental grasp on machine learning and even cut dove a little bit into AI and, and some of the, the work required to get into those fields, I especially love that GitHub is, is a skill that, that people need. It's like, yes. What about IT companies that are funding research around machine learning? Are there such companies that are investing, I guess, kind of selfishly or unselfishly? And do we have a sense, you know, kind of what they're trying to accomplish by investing in this research? Um, a lot of big companies. Amazon, IBM, Microsoft, Google, Facebook, all the big ones are are funding machine learning algorithm research and they're fighting for talents. So give you an example, Amazon have the Prime membership program, which promise you to receive your item in two days, which they develop very complex machine learning algorithm to predict what you're going to order even before you make the order and pre- loaded into the warehouse near your home. It's crucial for their business. IBM have Watson product. They want to predict when and how bad people get cancer. And they want to see how much like radiology people should give the dosage to the patient based on the the image, based on the blood test. Like all the company needs machine learning. It's it's very, very fundamental and crucial for their main business. So it's kind of an investment that kind of recycles back into their own company because then they can use, like you said, Prime or, or Watson um, for right. their own solution stack. Yeah, okay. And believe it or not, in, in China, the, the delivery is way more fast than U.S. Amazon two-day delivery is like industry standard now, but in China, it's same-day deliver. Like oh, we man. have better algorithm. Yeah, I needed some plastic baggies for us, a, a collection of pins that I had the other day, and I went online. I'm, I'm in Oakland, so I, I went online to Amazon. It's like, yeah, you can get same day, but your $5 purchase of these little plastic bags is going to be like an $8 same day delivery fee. I was like, man, this, this is kind of a bummer. I'm already paying all this money for Prime. So I was a little salty. I, apparently, I'm in the wrong market. You could have moved to China, buddy. Yeah, then I'll get my, then I'll get my plastic baggies if, same if day. You, if you move to Beijing or Shanghai, you get all the orders in the same day. All right. I'm adding that to my list. (laughs) (laughs) Vivian, just in our line of work where we're dealing with a lot of folks that are in marketing, we hear machine learning come up all the time. Companies brief us and they have brand new version X of our great product. We've added machine learning. Yay. And they just make that out like it's amazing. And sometimes they talk about what they've got and what that means. And it really sounds like they mean statistical analysis. So can you explain the difference for us between ML and statistical analysis? It's actually a fundamental difference between machine learning and statistics. So machine learning is very young and uh, very close to AI. 
while statistic is originated from agriculture and sociology. While machine learning is very application focused, statistic is very theoretical focused. When I look at the different journals in machine learning and statistics, you will obviously see the difference in their focus. Statistics is more about abstract method and theory, while machine learning is 100% focused on the application. So I would say machine learning is much catching up with all the high technology quickly, while statistics is very old-fashioned, like like census data. You will have the summary statistic of different area, and machine learning can deal with structured data, while statistics can only deal with structured data. Machine learning can deal with both structured and non-structured data. And machine learning is focusing on prediction, decision-making, emphasizing on computation efficiency from very beginning, while statistics only concern mainly concerned about interpretation of the data, not much focusing on the computation cost till recently. So based on the different perspective of two domains, we do see the traditional marketing company is more focusing on the statistics side, more summary statistic, but we do see a big wave. Marketing company are starting to utilize machine learning. For example, they will have like big clients like Masilis, Bench. They want to allocate certain amount of money through different channels. So how to get the best outcome use, utilizing these resources? They will do research. They will do prediction. Tell them what's the channel return on investment. What's the timing? What are the people they should reach out to get certain response? So when you have those data collected through prediction modeling, you can utilize the resources better. I would marketing is much very much behind um, all other industry, but they do have a lot of money to utilize and uh, move faster. Hmm. You said a lot of things there. Um, You're doing your thinking grunt. Oh yes, that is my thinking grunt. <laughs> okay, so let let's go back to you mentioned structured and unstructured data and made the point that for statistical analysis you need structured data, but that ML can deal with both structured and unstructured data. Let's dive into that, you know, the data sets and the data, how you normalize data. So just for some context, one of the problems that I've been made aware of is applying machine learning to network traffic, where you're taking a machine learning algorithm, applying it to network traffic and seeing what inferences can be made from that data. The problem being the data is not normalized in such a, such a way as it's been explained to me that machine learning can deal with it very well. So how does data need to be normalized so that ML can deal with it? Really depends. Certain algorithm is more restrictive, so we need to normalize it, make sure most of the like parameter fall into the same range, like 0 to 1 or 0 to 100. Otherwise, you are going to make bigger impact. You are going to predict more using the bigger range parameter. But a lot of algorithm is very robust. You don't need to do much normalization. So it really depends on what you want to achieve and what algorithm you end up using. Okay. So can you maybe give us some examples to help us understand that a bit? I'm aware that there are some standard data sets that are out there that you can apply a machine learning algorithm to to kind of prove the merits of your algorithm, the names of which escape me right now. But um... <laughs> So uh, one example can be classification. There is a well-known data set called Boston Mortgage Data. 
you have the parameters such as what, how many highway close to this, this housing, how quiet it is, what's the average income level, what's the average age range. So those are combination of binary parameter or numerical parameter. So in this case, you will normalize it. Like the salary range will be like zero to 200,000, while the age range is zero to 150. So if you don't normalize it, the salary range will take a bigger impact in the final prediction modeling. In this case, you do need to normalize all the parameters, treat them fairly. But if you're using other algorithms such as clustering, you want to cluster, okay, what's the typical image of this neighborhood? Like it's middle-aged, well-educated people. The salary income level is like 20% above other neighborhood. So once you have the persona, you'll be able to know, oh, if a neighborhood have similar persona, when I cluster those parameters, I will know which price range of this neighborhood fall into. Also, beside cluster, you can use like decision tree. If this neighborhood, most people have like between 30 to 40 and they make this much money and this is close to four highway instead of 10 highway, it will likely fall into the range of certain amount of money. So it really depends on what algorithm you use to solve the problem. Like I was trying to predict the same thing. What's the housing price? I can use classification. I can use regression. I can use clustering. I can also use decision tree. And each algorithm gives me different flexibility and different prediction power. It sounds like a lot of what you need to do here is in some way provide a correlation between your data points. I've got, like you, you're talking about housing and, and age and education. You have to define for the algorithm how these data points are interrelated so that the result is meaningful for what you're trying to measure for. So correlation is the first step. You want to find what are the highly correlated field and only choose one of them. For example, if two variables is highly correlated, like 90%, you using both will give you random split of the impact of the parameter. So checking the correlation gives you a good sense how the data are internally structured, but the algorithm is going beyond the correlation. It's more like interpretation of the internal structure. What is the most in- important dominating facts to, to giving you the final housing price? Is that the neighbors? Is that the location? Is that how easy to get to highway? How easy to get to subway? Or whether it's close to Hudson River? Those facts. You want to find the most important. A parameter gives them percentage, how much it impacts your decision and really come up with a numerical prediction. Well, considering you could use that sort of an approach to predict how applying a specific application to your network infrastructure, to your IT infrastructure broadly, would impact it. If you have characteristics about an app and you know things like what its storage IOs are like and what its network throughput is like and what user experience needs to be like and so on, you could use ML and, uh, and figure that out based on a, a data set that it's learned over time and then have predictive knowledge of where uh, where things are going to uh, – of how your network is going to be impacted once you've loaded that application up. That's right. So what I'm hearing is that just figuring out how to normalize the data, how to get the data in there, what data is good to use, that's a challenge. But I'm also thinking setting up the machine learning 
environment, you know, the, the actual structure the servers, the, the, the guts is, is probably also kind of a challenge as well. I'm thinking that there's a number of these machine learning as a service offerings out there, you know, just plug in your data and go. Is that, is that helpful? Is that kind of get the, the IT part of the equation out of the, out of the way? And could it potentially help the practitioners that are out there that are spending maybe a, I'm assuming a lot of time kind of building the, the structure and the, and the framework first before they can even feed in data? So it has pros and cons. First, also, absolutely, it's making things easy. It allows drag and drop and easy to like spin, spin up an instance to get work done. Also, it has its limitation because you don't know how the algorithm is written. Like interpretation of the result might be different if you you think it's this way, but actually it's done underneath the other way. So most companies are very cautious of using machine learning as a service offering there because they cannot make mistake. If they like one parameter is written differently in their own algorithm and the standard service out there, they are screwed up. Mm, so you're getting you're getting the black box, which gets you off the ground faster. But at the end of the day, it's a black box. You don't necessarily know exactly what's going on under the covers. Yeah, you can't fully trust it till you do like half year, one year testing intensively. And, and so you don't want to use ML as a service from a from a cost standpoint. You're saying where if you get your parameters wrong, you're going to get a result set that's not useful to you. But you just spent all that money to to crunch the numbers. I think for a company never used machine learning before, it might be a good, interesting boosting point for them, for them to start to try things out. But for a yeah. company very mature in machine learning, and this is crucial, essential for their business, they are much more cautious about using the, the paid service out there. Yeah, I was thinking about that. You know, if you're if you're an IT practitioner and, you're, and your boss comes and said, okay, I want you to build this machine learning service in the data center, I mean, th- that would scare the heck out of me if I was, you know, just a virtualization engineer and, and, and asked to do something that complex. So I would imagine for the first go around, all right, let's do something as a service. And then you could potentially take the results from that, the, the wins and the losses, the challenges and the, and the opportunities and say, okay, what can we do to move it in-house? What would that architecture look like? But at least then you're not trying to figure out the science behind it and the architecture at the same time. That feels like it'd be a really tall order to, to try to fill. It's going to be two role. People know the infrastructure can set it up, typically a data engineer who who pulling the data and use the algorithm is data scientist. Usually people will have a strong team to deliver both scope. Got it. that stuck out to me here was the need to correlate data. As Vivian put it, that is like one of the, the critical things that you have to do when dealing with a data set that you're plugging into a machine learning algorithm to get data out of the algorithm in a way that is helpful, that is useful to you for your decision-making process. You've got to explain to that machine learning algorithm and weight different factors appropriately so that some menial factor doesn't become way more important than it ought to and you get this really skewed result. Um, that I didn't really consider. Um, and uh, understanding that is uh, is helpful because when you put it in that context, you can imagine how any data set you might apply to machine learning would become interesting. What did you find, Chris? My thought was probably a little more security focused and or, or just kind of be aware of who invested in the technology they're using for that machine learning 
we pointed out a number of use cases, but I think that those folks are trying to reap rewards in the market, right? And imagine in any case, the real value in, in a lot of these machine learning driven processes is you. You're the data after all, you know, you're the thing that's providing all this unstructured data. And they're trying to mine all of this unstructured data. Like ImageNet was asking people to do CAPTCHA twos and essentially you were providing the data inputs. This service was benign. It wasn't trying to like rule the world or anything. It just wanted to make better image recognition. Uh, so that one's more benign, but but not all of them are. So services like Facebook, Google Search, etc. You know, you're the product. Just be aware of that before you, you know, intentionally or non-intentionally, go out and use these services. Vivian, I want to uh, help people apply machine learning in the context of the real world. So if they're people out there who are trying to figure out what ML is good for. Can you give us some some real-world examples? We've hit on a few already, like like Siri you mentioned and real estate. Can you give us some other ones, maybe some business problems that it might make sense for machine learning to tackle? So, for example, the internet industry, they want to use machine learning to find customer relationship. For example, for us, we track the client's relationship all times through our web page want to see, oh, there are 10 people coming from Amex today. I can identify who is decision maker and reach out to them. So internet companies have the unique strengths to be able to do customer relationship management. Also, they want to find the social network. They want to find behavior. Like you might notice if you browse for a certain product, it's on your laptop. It's also showing up on your phone. So all hmm. the cookies data are sharing across different devices. They are capturing your behavior. Also, shopping company like they are like you buy through Banana Republic. They are sharing data with other vendors, so they know your habit, what you like to buy. Those are all super creepy. Wow, yeah. and I'm noticing that more and more. Like uh, honestly, that sort of stuff used to rub off to me as coincidence. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I'm on, I'm on my phone. Or I feel like I say something around someone else and they're like, oh, I'm seeing ads for what we just talked about. How much of a tinfoil hat am I wearing? How deep does this go? Because it almost feels like the NSA is spying on me to figure out what brand of shampoo I want to buy at this point. Everyone is transparent these days. You want to enjoy the convenience and you are giving away your rights. You don't really have a choice. (sighs) That image on Google these days, it's impossible to remove it. I do notice that I, I like to read a, lo- um, a fair number of, uh, of fiction that's you know around spy spy novels and things like that, and a lot of it's the little jokes that they make in the book, like oh you know back in the fifties we used to have to follow you around in a van with the little telescoping you know uh, audio sensors and things like that. Now people just check in and say I'm here now. This is what I'm doing. Here's a photo of me doing it. You know it's like self reporting. Uh, yeah, like you're, you're your own 1984. Even by reading someone's Twitter, you will know exactly how these people think, what he likes, what he does. Like just a few words can disclose and reveal who you are, what you want. And people Hmm. are voluntarily sharing those informations. And so then you have a a pretty vast wealth of unstructured data at your fingertips without any permissions issues, I, I would imagine. Yes. You basically sign off the cookie policy every time you went to a website. Right. Yeah. And a lot of that we know. We've heard about that. We're kind of aware that that's happening because even people that aren't technology focused in their day-to-day life but use technology will say, I wonder how that thing knew to advertise that to me. Well, because there's an algorithm that's tracked us 
and figured that out, that this is something that you'd probably like. One point I wanted to bring up was, I remember when cookies were introduced, because I'm old and crusty, and, and Ethan's older, just, just to keep it, you know, so that we all know. <laughs> and so w- when I first started working with cookies, it was more just to remember really simple things or, or potentially have your shopping cart go in there or something like that. It was really just, it was making up for the pitfalls of the server-side processing power and storage and things like that. I don't think we really realized, it, you know, if you start off with that mindset, I don't think we've really maybe cognitively had the had the the correct alignment around the fact that th- this this is way more advanced than that these technologies have moved on significantly since then because that was kind of you know dial up era stuff where we're dealing with these technologies and then fast forward 20 years like Vivian you know, like what you were saying you know all this data is freely available the, these cookies are tracking way more than just you know I put something in my cart or something like that that's that's old school that's not even being done anymore Everyone is transparent these days. You can yeah. find your phone number, where you live, through public record easily. They can call you. They can find your email. They know what you buy the last 10 days. Is that why you don't have Facebook, Ethan? Is that, is that why you stay off the grid? <laughs> In all sincerity, yes, that is part of it because I, I'm aware of how Facebook does that. And, and I'd like to try to keep some amount. Uh, yes, I am transparent, too, because I'm on Twitter and, uh, and LinkedIn. But uh, to some degree, I try to maintain a little bit of anonymity. Vivian, I want to ask you about a specific IT application. Let's talk about uh, security, to use that context. And what a lot of security vendors have been pitching to us is their ability, using machine learning, to more effectively detect anomalies, where something's going on that shouldn't be going on. Do you have any comment on that? Machine learning is applied to security and finding anomalies. Can they really do it better? And if they're doing it better, how is it better? It's very common to use machine learning these days, especially the network analysis. You want to know how the information flows through the network, be able to secure the weakness. You also want to know where are the weak points people might attack you on. So I know Microsoft, IBM, and they have big teams doing that now. And they mainly hire like very, very senior data scientists to do this job. Now, you say senior data scientists. What is it about that world that requires a senior level of expertise? Is that to provide context around the data or? It's like a doctor career. You have seen enough sick patient to come up with instant what might went wrong and you have enough two kids to fix the problem uh, it's like bringing dr house on the case as opposed to uh <laughs> you know anyone else oh by the way dr house is a great example so why dr house always need those those puppy puppy student what do you think uh so he doesn't have to work because he's lazy no, actually, it's a, it's another example of machine learning. So, Dr. House is really, it's a strong learner. Its accuracy rate, probably 90%. But having six of weak learners, like each of the learner have 70% accuracy rate. When you pull them up to majority vote, their performance can beat one strong learner. That's one of the main reasons machine learning algorithm works so well. Hmm. That's pretty smart. I don't know. That that feels subtle and slimy, but also really smart because that, it, that's that's you always want to surround yourself with probability calculators. Yeah. <laughs> and then and he's like, "Oh, well, I got I got the right answer because they all tried the wrong things first, and then here we go." Now, so are we hearing about machine learning all of a sudden, Vivian, more and more because computing power is just 
well, we have there's so much more of it. There's so many so many more clock cycles out there available than there used to be. So we can just do it better, or is it like advances in how we do the algorithms that are making the technology better for us? I think basically the business doesn't have a choice. If you don't have machine learning, you have no way to digest what you're getting every day. And there's no way you can come up with some business insight quickly, precisely with supported theoretical and the domain knowledge to to move forward. So it's basically something everyone must do to keep moving on with their business. I'm going to have to stop being skeptical of machine learning and just accept it. That's that's one of the things I'm getting out of this conversation with you is just a a belief that no, this is a early days but maturing discipline that has real world application and everybody's using it to solve problems. Is uh, is, is how you're making it feel to me? Is that did I exaggerate that? Nope. Hmm. Okay. I'll stop being mean to marketing people then. Yeah, it's not very nice. Well, I have a question. So bringing up marketing people, uh, I was at the Amazon reInvent conference, and one of the big announcements was SageMaker, AWS SageMaker, which the message that was kind of portrayed was that machine learning is hard, not only from an algorithm perspective and figuring out the data, but just getting it all stood up and, and just operating it. The whole thing is, is, is a challenge. So SageMaker you know, brings it within the reach of mere mortals, the, the kind of snarky comment that I saw from the audience was, well, now instead of needing, you know, a dozen PhDs to do machine learning, you only need one or two, which felt a little more accurate. You know, it's not like me, I'm just going to, you know, I'm a man off the street sort of is just going to walk in and all of a sudden make this beautiful machine learning algorithm, you know, sing. Uh, so thoughts on SageMaker, where does the reality begin and the marketing end? Is this something that you're using or seeing other people using that kind of jazz? Yes, I see people use it all the time. Successfully, unsuccessfully, what's the is it is it actually uh, doing what as advertised or what what's going on with it? Initially, um, not successful, but they're getting better and better. Okay, so it's not it's not as easy as Amazon's making it out to be. Then, no, not at all. If you get a chance to look into all the competitive product uh, on the market now, most of them sucks. It's really <laughs> hard to set up. It's really hard to use. And it almost never worked. But that's the trend. In half year, one year time, all of them will become really, really good. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what they're known for. They're the kingmakers when it comes to taking anyone else that's kind of a one-trick pony out there and turning them into yet another thing on the Amazon dashboard when you go into the AWS portal. And one of the things that I liked that came out of the... The, the kind of the marketing presentation was it removed, you know, SageMaker removes all the barriers that typically slow down developers who want to use machine learning. And that one kind of made my, my head scratch a little bit because that wasn't the group of people that I thought were really trying to get into this. I, I figured it was more data scientists trying to remove some barriers or more, more frequently than developers trying to get into it. Are developers trying to get directly into machine learning or, or where are they at in the equation of, of dealing with ML? So it's very typical people will have a core algorithm team, like Google search engine team have about 28 PhDs of statistical computer science wow. writing their core algorithm. But they also have two software engineers support them to convert their R code or Python code into C++ code and put into production. So like prototype and the production type are implemented by data scientists and the software separately. Mm. Software engineer separately. 
kind of reminds me of like DevOps for machine learning, you know, getting the developer and the data scientist closer together and, and getting the infrastructure kind of out of the way. I think the, the type of software engineer is not a t- traditional software engineer. They do need to know data science, but they yeah. might not be the, the top-notch algorithm designer, but they do understand everything going on. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our Data Knots podcast for today, although I'm sad. I think, Vivian, maybe we should get together at some point in the future and we pick your brain even more if you'd be willing. But uh, in the meantime, how can folks follow you? Do you blog or are you, are you active on social media where the algorithms can figure out all about you? Um, not really. I have Twitter, but I will highly recommend people follow our school's Twitter, NYC Data Science. Because we share a lot of industry insights, like what is popular, what should you learn, how you can land a career. We also share a lot of good data science uh, work. Like our students produce about 200 to 300 articles every quarter. And a lot of them ha- share the code, share the, the work procedure, how to get work done. So for anyone who wants to land a career or understand deeper how it helps different business, they should read our blog post and our Twitter. And again, it's NYC Data Sci. Yes. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time today. This has been absolutely fantastic conversation and for uh, for sharing your knowledge about machine learning with us. And to all you listening, that is it for today's edition of the Data Knots podcast. You can reach Ethan. That is me at EC Banks on Twitter. And uh, you can check out my about page at EthanCBanks.com if you want to know more about me. You can digitally probe Chris at Chris Wall on Twitter or via his blog, wallnetwork.com. For more of our Data Knot shows about infrastructure engineering, visit packetpushers.net. We talk about all sorts of things that reflect the culture of silo busting in IT and get down and nerdy while doing so. And until then, may your server lights blink, your storage spindle spin, and your cables be cleanly managed. Mm-hmm.